Welcome to Indigenous Success. Doing it, thinking it, being it. With Dr. Caitlin Barney and Professor Tracy Bunder. Hi, I'm Caitlin and welcome to our podcast series, Indigenous Success, Doing It, Thinking It, Being It. I'd like to start the podcast by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands where we are recording today and pay my respect to their ancestors and their descendants. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of wherever you're listening from today. The podcast series focuses on what works in outreach programs for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander school students. This series is part of a suite of resources developed from an equity fellowship that I undertook, funded by the National Centre for Student Equity in Higher Education in 2020. And it focuses on success factors that are based on key findings from the fellowship. Each episode is an interview with an Indigenous staff member or university student about aspects of effective outreach programs. I'm a non-Indigenous woman born and raised on Jagger and Turrbal country, and I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Professor Tracy Bunder, who was part of the advisory group on the fellowship. Hi, everyone. I'm a Noogie Waka Waka woman, and currently I am the acting director of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies Unit at the University of Queensland. Caitlin and I decided to call the podcast series Indigenous Success, doing it, thinking it, being it, because there are multiple understandings of success in this context. Thinking about the influences of success, life experience, locations, the context for success, and cultural matters. Also, you'll hear Caitlin and I use the terms Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, Indigenous and First Nations in this podcast. And we want to acknowledge this and note we are aware of the diversity and different perspectives on the use of these terms. We hope the podcast series is useful for outreach practitioners working with Indigenous students, but we also hope that the podcast series is useful for anyone with an interest in student success and student equity in higher education more generally. The theme of this episode is around methodological approaches to evaluation of outreach programs and our guest today is Professor Gwaine Bodkin-Andrews, who's Director of Indigenous Research at Western Sydney University. Welcome, Gwaine. Thank you, Caitlin, and thank you, Ani Tracy, for having me here. Gwaine, could you introduce yourself in whatever way is comfortable for you? If you don't mind, I'll just introduce myself through some language, um, the language, which I'm very, very proudly a not fluent speaker of, but getting there, maybe hopefully one day. I'll have to give obviously an English translation to that. Um, and it's not an exact translation. We have differences in um, sentence structures and so forth. So please don't assume I'm um, using the English sentence structure either there. Uh, but anyway, I start off with an acknowledgement, I guess, of who I am, at least physically, um, in my appearance. And that is I can very easily pass as a white person. Um, and with that, I carry with me a certain... Um, privilege, I guess, um, both as a white person and as a male. And I just ask that you all recognise that I'm, as much as possible, I'm aware of this and still becoming aware of this privilege that's, I would argue, being forced upon my family uh, through generations of 
colonization. Uh, but with that being said, I also ask that you understand that I was born and raised as a Darawal person, um, and I've always lived on either Bidigul or Nadamadigul country, um, which both my parents identify as, and Bidigul is bitter waters, um, where the salt waters meet the fresh waters or the rivers run backwards with the tides. Um, and that medical is a freshwater country um, extending out past southeast Sydney into the Nadai Valley area. Um, and then finally, I just gave my respect to elders of the past, present and future. And I say this just to respect our dreaming and that our dreaming is not just a thing of the past and the lessons from it and the elders um, who have passed on these lessons um, do not just exist in our, our past, but they exist in today with us today and they also will exist in our future um, if we continue to survive and thrive um, or promote Indigenous success, I guess. Gwen, I know that you've uh, recently taken up a new role in a different university. Can you tell us about that role and any possible links that you see yourself having with outreach and engagement programs? My role as Director of Indigenous Research is a relatively new role here at Western Sydney University. And I'm currently overseeing the recruitment and retention of our Indigenous HDR students, which is a very fast growing base here at WSU. Um, that includes support mechanisms such as the Yarramundi Scholarship, um, supervision strategies, and most importantly, um, I would argue the recruitment not only from our communities, but from within WSU itself, um, which is, I think, something that sometimes universities forget about. But also I'm looking at um, external sources of funding for Indigenous research, uh, whether it be led by Indigenous or non-Indigenous scholars, um, just assisting in the grant applications there and ensuring they're doing it one of the many right ways as opposed to uh, potentially causing damage for the future. So yes, I also have a fairly big overlap with um, ethics here at WSU as well. So we know that there hasn't been a lot of evaluation of outreach programs for Indigenous students. Can you talk a bit about your perspective on methodological approaches to evaluation? Early on in my PhD days, it wasn't necessarily evaluation based, uh, but I did a lot of my research on the self-perceptions and motivation and achievement of Indigenous students um, within primary schools and high schools. Um, I had yeah, worked in a centre that went through various names, uh, but had a strong Indigenous research focus, but was predominantly non-Indigenous led, if that makes any sense. But regardless of some very important, yeah, very important lessons that came out of that. And basically, for me, the most important one was to, I guess, not get caught up too much with the jargon or the agendas to really always have a good look at yourself and what you're doing um, and don't be afraid to critique yourself um, otherwise you'll just get stuck in a rut and often these ruts tend to be from a western epistemic foundation uh, which can do more harm than good there then i moved into um, quite luckily it was the australian indigenous mentoring experience um, research with the university of wollongong some beautiful um, scholars there, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, Anthony McKnight, very strong Indigenous scholar, but also there was um, Sarah O'Shea, who is amazing, uh, Valerie Harwood, some really good non-Indigenous scholars working within the Indigenous space um, and very successful as well. And the Australian Indigenous mentoring experience was an actual evaluation and I took care of the quantitative component of it, uh, but also was, I guess, 
I won't say advising, but um, offering input into the qualitative components and how they interpret findings a little bit there and so forth. That was an interesting experience and it taught me also the need to be aware of the statistics we use, all the methodologies we use and the stories they actually tell. Um, these are tools and these tools can be used in the wrong way or the right way. The AIM evaluation experience really when you really looked into the data a little bit more deeply and more carefully some very strong stories came out but if you just took a very soft approach or shallow approach um, to either the pole or the quant data yes it told a good story but yeah if you know what you're doing um, the story will be a much much stronger story if you really dig down deep i guess the next phase of evaluation wasn't necessarily evaluation per se but evaluation development and this is at the university of technology sydney um, some amazing leadership by Professor Michael McDaniel, Professor Larissa Barrent. Um, saw a team of us come over to UTS and uh, work on the Indigenous Graduate Attribute Project. And my particular job there was to focus on how we could value the implementation of Indigenous Graduate Attributes within universities teaching and learning space. And that was really a lesson for me in really centering uh, Indigenous standpoints Indigenous ways of knowing, being and doing in evaluation, not just in teaching and learning. And there were some very interesting results that came out of that. That was actually the approach to the research for me was really the most important thing um, as opposed to critiquing the data and so forth. That's my primary experience in terms of um, evaluation projects. Each of these projects has an important story to tell. Um, that's really contributed to my own learning experience, but yeah. What kinds of tips would you offer those outreach practitioners when they're looking at evaluation and possibly working with researchers? What are the things that they've got to look for? This is a really important question, um, and I guess you could call it the interface between um, the outreach practitioners and researchers at universities. And I've got some horrible stories to tell here, um, namely from what researchers can do um, and don't do, more importantly, and, yeah, how we can actually guide universities um, and researchers themselves to do the right thing is critically important. And I guess these outreach practitioners, um, you're on the ground face, you're there with the lived experiences or living experiences of the Indigenous students and you need to respect their voices. I remember early on in my research career we had a um, very interesting project which was all about success. Um, it was a mixed method of approach um, where we looked at very large-scale quantitative um, research across 52 schools in New South Wales uh, but there are some really in-depth qualitative findings out of it and there's some very strong partnerships but the emphasis was on success and so in the qualitative component four schools were selected uh, because their indigenous students were doing really well um, but three of these schools were i thought from a cultural perspective absolutely awesome really safe places as safe as a school can be in a um, multicultural and largely non-indigenous environment um, but there was one school that for me and for a young Indigenous HDR student was attached to the project where it was very unsettling. And this particular school was, as far as I'm concerned, an example of assimilation. Mm -hmm. um, their Indigenous content was basically some boomerangs hung up in the library um, and that was it. And it was 
the school took the approach that Indigenous stuff is too hard. And the problem with this particular research project is our emphasis was on the success, the strengths, and there was this particular school, and I don't know how we could deal with it ethically because obviously we can't name schools or anything like that, that really needed to be critiqued. Neither device, but it was a smash and grab project. We went in there, collected the data, gave minimalistic presentations back to the um, the schools themselves, and left. And so there was this hole in the actual project that left me deeply uncomfortable, and something needed to be done there. Um, I was low level at the time in the project um, and had very little say in its directions and what was reported and so forth. A um, bit of a guinea pig there, and for me it was. Yeah, in the end, probably resulted in a bit of a falling out uh, with the university itself and particular researchers. But you need to stand up and not let these researchers dictate everything. It is a beautiful, very powerful project, but the measurement of outcomes would have been, or sole measurement of outcomes from a Western perspective, would have been completely wrong. Um, and that could have had significant policy implications. Um, if we let this representative get away with what they were saying. If you're on the ground level, always respect where you're coming from, respect those you're working with, and just know that us as researchers, uh, we are not infallible. We are often wrong or we get too excited from our own theoretical perspectives or our own particular methods, not methodologies, um, that we get stuck in a rut. And so don't be afraid to correct us. Um, and help align us to where we should be going in terms of the research. That research space or even that, you know, just that general engagement space, just got to watch that power and how it's playing out on you, don't you? I guess that's another part of the research. Um, If you're at the ground level as an outreach uh, practitioner and so forth, you've got a lot of research knowledge that may not be translated into some um, journal paper that would hardly ever be accessed by anyone um, in the real world as opposed to academia, um, but you are actually a real researcher, a real life researcher, and you're there empowering our students, empowering our communities. Um, so, yeah, never forget about that. That's a wonderful reminder. Mm that you know on the ground our our outreach practitioners are researchers as well yeah and come with a lot of knowledge Mm. that they bring with them as well you were talking a little bit about cultural aspects in schools just then and that was a finding from the fellowship was that you know embedding more cultural aspects in outreach programs was something that students would like and that does link with some of your earlier work around um, the importance of cultural identity as a positive driver, some of um, the work you've done on that and schooling motivation. Can you talk a bit about why you think cultural aspects in outreach programs might be important? Firstly, uh, from an academic perspective, the evidence is there. Uh, Sometimes it's not clear. Sometimes it gets washed away by ideological mentalities and uh, particular forces who want to deny it or downplay it or take a deficit approach. The good research or research that digs a little bit deeper, uh, culture always will come out to play as a very important partner terminology variable. I guess two examples I have is one the one of the early research projects I was involved in looked at a, a simplistic quantitative measure of culture and cultural safety in the classroom is probably a better way of putting it, um, as reported by the students themselves. And quite interestingly, project itself was based 
upon, I guess, the self-confidence of Indigenous students within schools. The research leaders were all about Indigenous self-concepts and um, so forth and how important they need to be confident in school to not only be motivated and to attend school but also to achieve better in school. And there's a lot of international research supporting this, right? I was involved in doing the analysis for this particular project and ended up writing the actual report for it. In the end, it was actually found for these primary school students the the more the Aboriginal students felt safe in the classroom about their, con- uh, their culture, um, their indigeneity, their willingness to not only share and talk about their indigeneity and their culture, but also um, its visible presence in the classroom and so forth, then not only did it result in higher levels of confidence at school, but also actually resulted in higher levels of achievement at school over and above prior achievement. So this was an independent predictor of these students actually performing better, which is a very, very powerful uh, finding as far as I'm concerned. Then we go into the interrogation of data more carefully. So this is a presentation I did, which I sadly never published, and that's a form of my own there. I remember one of the AARE conferences uh, where basically we ran your basic linear regression, which is a predictive, does culture predict um, engagement at school um, and aspirations to go to university, which is what AIM was all about. And what was found that was actually the motivation of the students uh, from a Western measure and the self-confidence of the students was a stronger predictor of actual, what we would call it, these going to university um, and being engaged in school type outcomes. So these Western measures won out. Um, but then we've got to keep in mind, is university a Western or a cultural outcome? And is school a cultural place or is it a Western learning place? So the cards were stacked to ensure that these Western measures of self-confidence and motivation would win out. But with that being said, the students who reported a stronger sense of identity, also uh, safety about their identity, were more likely to be self-confident, were more likely to be motivated academically. And so we ran some interaction analyses um, and found out that the effects of um, self-concept and also motivation, academic motivation, were enhanced when the students had a stronger sense of culture. Um, So, yes, culture is extremely important. With that being said, how do we measure it? My advice is start with the voices of students themselves, what's Mm. important to understanding who they are. Um, The work of Cheryl Pinker-Tucker, an amazing amazing Aboriginal scholar here, has done much to um, motivate me in that direction. Um, But, yeah, if you can measure it better and not based on a Western-type construct, um, then I'm pretty sure you'll find some very strong effects there. And not only that, also remember that achievements at school and aspirations to go to university are not the only outcomes. This podcast is called Indigenous Success, Doing It, Thinking It, Being It. What does Indigenous success mean to you? For me, it's a tough one. I live in a quite a tense space, culturally speaking. In the Sydney area, we've been hit very hard by colonisation been a lot of, I guess, colonial storytelling about who we are, um, who has a right to call themselves Aboriginal, who are their ways and so forth. I think one of our biggest strengths is to recognise that each of our mobs have our own battles against the forces of colonisation and whiteness and being whitewashed. 
um, or erased from our histories and our futures as well. And whilst I've seen some very strong academics, Indigenous academics, be critical of notions of survival and resistance when we should be focusing on strength and so forth, I would take the argument that this strength would not be there if we did not understand our abilities to survive against what is a plague of whiteness and that continues to exist today in policy, in academia, um, and you know, even in everyday community interactions through racism and so forth. For me, strength is a matter of survival still, remembering our ancestors, remembering their lessons and ensuring they're being passed upon. It's about resilience and resisting um, the status quo. It's about resisting whiteness itself and not being infected to the extent that we actually perpetuate whiteness unknowingly in our own work and in our own research. Um, and then it's about being strong and standing up for what our ancestors has passed on to us and also standing up for our futures um, and making sure that there are stronger Indigenous futures for all of our mobs. Wonderful wise words. Thank you very much, Gwen. Thanks, Gwen. Great to talk to you. Really Always walk in the sunlight. Thank you. Caitlin and I both want to thank you for joining this podcast series, Indigenous Success, Doing It, Thinking It and Being It. If you've got any questions about this podcast or any of the other podcasts that you may have listened to, please contact Caitlin on her email address, k.barney, that is B-A-R-N-E-Y, k.barney at uq.edu.au. Thank you very much and we hope that you'll join us in the future.